everybody. Welcome back to the Tipsy Ghost. We're your tipsy host, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> I don't know what kind of hay that was. <laughs> it's a hey. sex line is what it was. <laughs> I felt a little voice. <laughs> I did. That was your bedroom voice. You guys have heard mine, apparently. Yeah, mine's not that good. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Reminds me of, you remember that radio talk show where it was Delilah? Yes. I grew up listening to Delilah. Maybe that's who I'm channeling. So my brother, gosh, he's going to like hate me when I tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyways. He has to listen to the podcast. He used to like listen to that Delilah show at night when he was trying to fall asleep because he was just like, Oh, she's got a very soothing voice. She does have a soothing voice. And he said that once. My mom was like... I thought I heard the radio on last night when you were sleeping. And he's like, yeah, I listened to the Delilah show. And my mom was like, why? And he goes, because her voice is soothing. Totally innocent. And my mom goes, do you need a friend? (laughs) She thought he was lonely and listening to her voice. (laughs) I have no idea what show you guys are talking about. Serious? Delilah. My mom used to listen to it. She has like, it's like a late night talk show, but she plays music that's like, I don't know, like slow, like <laughs> like love, slow, songs. like love songs, slow songs, like things you can fall asleep to. It's not like any like upbeat like jams or anything. And um, she has like a bedroom voice. She She's, does, yeah. It's but, the, most like soothing... the most soothing bedroom voice. Okay, <laughs> I'm pulling her up. I fell asleep to Nick at night. Mm. I fell asleep to uh, Wayne's World. Mm. On repeat. Let's see. I'm trying to find like just like her doing a show, not like an interview. Do you know what I think I sound like? Is the Saturday Night Live skit from Forever Ago about sweaty balls. Uh, <laughs> sweaty balls. That's you exactly what I'm obsessed with that skit. Have you seen that skit? I have seen that. Don't I sound like her? Here you go. Listen. Take off the time. Your brother did need a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Delilah. And so she would have like people call in and forgot about that part. Tell heartwarming stories no. about no. love and family. And so it played late at night. <laughs> that makes her uncomfortable. <laughs> I am so uncomfortable. <laughs> Soothing voices at night. So you think your voice sounds like the sweaty balls? I do. The the yes, I do. And Delilah combined. I uh, I don't know. It's not great. Either way. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Gosh, who was that? It's not Molly Shannon. Shannon. It's, it's Molly Shannon. And I know, but that's not who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the other actress, Anna Gasteyer. Mm-hmm. That's her. That's yep, exactly that's who her. that is. I don't know who my voice sounds like. <sighs> Guys, let us know what our voices sound like. <laughs> I don't know who you sound like either. <laughs> I love it when the balls are in my mouth. <laughs> That's one of my favorite SNL sketches. I love SNL so much. I'll quote it till the day I die. <laughs> I know, Don't right? judge me, boys. When Sarah and I first met that first day, <laughs> I she quoted it and I didn't know what she was talking about. And so she <laughs> shoved her phone in my face so that I could watch it. <laughs> You've never seen the sweaty balls? <laughs> I had not until oh my gosh. I met Sarah. What about like... Cowbell? Cowbell's one of my favorites. Oh, I love the Cowbell. And when we talk about like the 5 a.m. like wake up call that I have to go do to patients and I'm always like, I need a cowbell. And I'll just like bang it and be like, it's time to wake up, guys. Needs more cowbell. (laughs) I love that one, too. That's a good one. Okay. Well, there we go. 
Yeah, so give us some feedback. Who do we sell like? <laughs> no, sell like please don't give us feedback. Balls or <laughs> Delilah. We'll put a poll why. up on Instagram. <laughs> Does it sound like sweaty balls? <laughs> I don't know what was going on with my mouth. <laughs> it was very good. Boyson's very confused on all of this. She's just staring between the two of us. I don't know what's happening. I can't believe you don't know about Delilah or Sweaty Balls. I, I, I told you, I know balls, what yeah. Sweaty Balls is now. You do now because of this friendship here. You're welcome <laughs> for the things that we bring to your life. You guys, that's what my mom said. Maybe that's why it's in my head. Every time she your hears me on the podcast, balls. she goes, you know what you sound like? It's the girl from the Sweaty Balls skit. I'm like, thanks, Mom. <laughs> thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> your mom sounds awesome. So now it's in my head. That Now it's permanently planted in my head. That's what I sound like. Neat. I've been told, like, what I look like, who I look like, but not who I sound like. I've been told that I look like Kelly Clarkson. (laughs) 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 Not what I would have (laughs) guessed. Who would you have guessed? I don't know, but not Kelly Clarkson. (laughs) (laughs) From, like, her earlier days. I've been told that by several people. (laughs) My brother-in-law even (laughs) called me Kelly Clarkson once. (laughs) <laughs> Would you have guessed that? No. no. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. No, it's really not either. <laughs> it just sounds very specific. I was—I ex- don't know who I was expecting. I know. Kelly Clarkson was not it. <laughs> it was like when that when that was going around Facebook, where everyone was putting up their doppelgangers or whatever. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you're not SNL. on Facebook, so you didn't get that. People so always tell me, "Do you know who you remind me of?" And I don't think it's because I look like her, but they'll be like, "Do you know who you remind me of?" That girl from the SNL skits who puts her hands in her armpits mm-hmm. and then Molly Shannon like that. I'm like, from oh, that's neat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the awkward girl. <laughs> the awkward girl. The girl who smells her armpits. The girl who smells her armpits. Yeah, that's me. Awesome. How about you? You have a doppelganger? Um, no, I don't get any feedback like that. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't recent. Okay, maybe I've grown out of my awkward state. Maybe. No, 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 no sure we haven't. haven't. We haven't. We're In still fact, there. it's gotten worse. I'm trying to I find, gosh, older. like a picture. She's changed so much. Of Kelly Clarkson? We know who she looks like. <laughs> no, but like her early days, y'all. Her Girl, early I know. Days. It was American I, Idol season I watched one. American Idol. I was there. Okay, okay. Oh, gee. That's what I've been told that I look like. I don't know. <laughs> I think we offended her. Oh, whether I should be offended or not. <laughs> I think I was just, um, I don't know. I don't know if I was expecting. <laughs> Your arms are crossed. You look heavily pissed. <laughs> I told you, we offended her. <laughs> I don't know. It's not a bad thing. I don't know who you. I'll think of it. Have you seen Arrested Development? No. But I've been told I need to watch that. You do. It's hilarious. Okay. But there's like, so in the show, the son is dating this girl who's supposed to be like really ordinary looking. And so he's like, yeah, my girlfriend's so-and-so. And they're like, her? Her? Really? Her? <laughs> so like, that's like what me and my family always quote. We're like, her? And so I feel like that's when you guys, when I said I look like Kelly Clarkson, you guys were like, her? Really? Her? <laughs> I know. Are you sure? Her? <laughs> 
You look like somebody, but not her. They, like, can never remember her name. He's like, my girlfriend's coming over. Oh, yeah. Her? <laughs> that one? Who? It's a funny show. You guys should watch it. Can't wait. I just have a problem comparing people to celebrities because I know, like, I see you all the time. And so now you're just, you're Lindsay. And so I can't, now I can't see (laughs) Kelly Clarkson. I'm I'm not saying I am Kelly Clarkson. (laughs) (laughs) My brother-in-law, like, said that once. And that was after, like, a couple people had told me that. And I was like, really? And so now he'll be like, Kelly, Justin to Kelly. <laughs> like, please stop. I was going to say, what about the movie with Justin? And I actually never saw that movie. Funny story. I did see that movie in the theater. <laughs> oh, gosh, in the theater. <laughs> with one of my one of my good friends. It was just the two of us. You guys were the only Her ones in the Her and I in the only theater. Oh, the only people in the theater. And about halfway through, the movie just shut off. They didn't think anybody was in there. Aww. So they turned it off and refunded us our money. <laughs> they were like, "We're sorry, you had to." They're like, "We're this. not actually going to restart that movie." The, well, so, but you, you were. I, I have a problem with that. Like, if you were already watching it, <laughs> we why were. wouldn't you just restart it? We, they didn't know we were in there. We were just like the lights came on. We were like, "What the hell?" But like, once they found somebody was in there, oh, yeah, they, they were like, no, like, "Oh man, no, I'm sorry." Here, not. let me just start your movie back up. No, they were like, "We're not gonna do that. We're gonna." Re- we're gonna stop this movie, so we had to leave. We were like in college. Okay, I'm embarrassed that we went to this movie in college. Did you first ever of all. finish the movie? No, so I never knew what happened from Justin to Kelly. Is I, that the I, name of the movie? Obviously, I've never seen that movie. I've never seen. Well, it I've either. only seen half the movie, so that's more I than care we've seen. enough. <laughs> I didn't care enough to see the rest of it. Hmm. So if somebody fill me. I in. mean, I'm not surprised that Boydson hasn't seen it. Oh, I'm shocked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've probably never seen high school musical either come on i have several oh, times good job one two and really? three mm, i've seen one and t- yeah i think i've seen three can okay you, can you that's do the names i've only seen one uh, on my on my this together my okay. favorite one is um what's that one <laughs> soaring that's i don't know that's is that the breaking song? free that's breaking free. free yeah i like that one that's a good okay. One. I'm impressed that you've seen those. I am too. She's going to start watching the Harry Potters. I told her I would okay. loan them those to her. Great. Did you bring them tonight? No, I told you I'm going to bring them before you have your surgery. I can give you oh, my God. login to HBO Max and you can just watch them on there. Mm. Okay. They're all on there if you want. Do I? How do I get on to <laughs> HBO Max? Do you have a smart TV? Yes. Can you just find the app on there? Okay. And then you log in with the info and they're all there. And then after you watch them, you can watch the Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. I have already seen those. Okay, good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know of some of the Harry Potter universe. Mm-hmm. 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 Cool. <laughs> You're ready. I'm so excited. I can't wait to share this part of my life with you. Let's see how much of a Hufflepuff she really is. I'm such a Hufflepuff. My friend Snapchatted me today and she was sending like an email and she was laughing at it because she was being very blunt and direct in her email. <laughs> And it was so funny. And I sent it back to her. And I was like, you're such a Slytherin. This is the most Slytherin response I've ever seen. And she is a Slytherin to the core. And she was like saying, my hobbies include hanging out with my dog. I don't like to go out because I like to be with my dog and use my dog as an excuse. (laughs) And she was just being very blunt about everything and like saying like, I don't like people. I was going to say, I think, I think Boyson might actually be a Slytherin. She's not. She's a Ravenclaw. I took the test. Yeah, I'm a Ravenclaw. I and was tested. I saw something on TikTok that was like, 
Whoa, did I just have a stroke? <laughs> did you? I don't know Am what I you just okay? said. On that TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> On TikTok, that was like, oh, millennials think it's cool to say what house they're in from Harry Potter. And I was like, I do think it's cool. Okay. I do. Like, shut up. It's literally on my Instagram bio <laughs> that I am an INFJ, I'm an Enneagram 9, and I'm a Hufflepuff. <laughs> That's how I define myself. Oh my God, you're such a millennial. I'm such a millennial, which I am. We all are millennials. Yeah. So, what's, where's the I'm insult? An elder millennial. I fall on the cusp. On the cusp. Yeah, between, what is it, Gen X? Gen X and millennial. That's yeah. me. Whatever. Whatever it means. Anyways, what are we doing tonight? Tonight is true crime. crime. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even get the word in. <laughs> we did not plan that at all. Nope. I wish you get ready to say it. <laughs> that was beautiful. It was harmonized. I feel left out. Can we try again? One, two, three. True crime. I want to be the bottom now. <laughs> I don't think we can do that again if we try it. I want to be the bottom. <laughs> Include me. Love me. I can't do it again. I'm already laughing no. too much. It's like asking me to do a Chewbacca again. It's just not happening. The unicorn Chewbacca. I'm going to be practicing we'll it all week. in for me. <laughs> that was impressive, though. Yeah, that was. I'm very impressed with us. <laughs> shows how much in sync we are we true are. crime harmony <laughs> i love it we are doing true crime guys if you didn't catch that <laughs> hmm. we gotta spin the wheel oh uh oh, hold wait, on oh, she needs uh, to finish her drink uh, what do i do chug 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 we're at a frat party <laughs> shot 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 is it me? I've never picked first. And you're still not. <laughs> it's Sarah. Yay! Yay for you. <laughs> that was the most sad yay for you. I haven't gone first in forever. I feel like uh, this wheel hates me. It was fair and square. Uh, it's a wheel of chance. And I suck never at know. chance. Okay. <laughs> So I have a little different take on tonight's true crime. <clears throat> it's a true crime, but this is more of a survivor for survivor story. What? Survivor story. Survivor. Does that mean that oh nobody dies? That's right. <laughs> That's what survivor means. Okay. Okay, well I wasn't I wasn't very familiar with the word survivor. I know of a survivor. Survivor. Oh, this is a Hufflepuff story. <laughs> okay. Um, no. No, it's still sad. Okay. It's pretty horrific and sad. Okay, but, then um, never mind. Also kind of cool. I'm going to throw it out there that she lives. <laughs> okay. So that's why I like call that. it a survivor story. But Survivaler. Stop <laughs> trying to make survivaler happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> have you seen Mean Girls? I have. <laughs> yes. I yes. don't know if I could be Stop friends with you if you had it. Happen. I quote that movie all the time. Are, are you pro- two in a row that I've seen? So she doesn't even go here. <laughs> Okay. Can you go here? No. Okay, you need to leave. Bring it down. Bring it down now. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I think we've already maybe mentioned this, but this is extremely graphic. The whole story. Yeah. Let's so, just throw up that. Gra- graphico. 
Grafico. Let's just throw that up for our whole true crime episode. It's going to be graphic. (laughs) I'm just telling this to anybody listening in case you're not interested in hearing a lot of graphic details that may be, you know, offensive or hard to listen to. I totally get it. Just fast forward through me. May not want to listen to it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So, in Port Elizabeth in South Africa on December 18th of 1994, 27-year-old Allison Botha returned to her apartment after dropping her friend Kim off at home around 1 a.m. Her normal parking spot was taken, so she had to park a little further away. She found a spot within walking distance. She leaned over to get her laundry basket from the passenger seat and felt a warm gust of wind. She realized the car door had been opened and saw a scrawny, tall, young man with blonde hair standing there beside her. She felt a knife at her throat, and the man said, move over or I'll kill you. So she did exactly what he said. He climbed into the driver's seat and put his foot on the accelerator, and after a few moments he said, I don't want to hurt you, I just want to use your car for about an hour. Hmm. She says in um, her story that she wanted to believe that he was good, so she believed what he had said. Uh, She considered jumping out of the car while it was moving, but she couldn't convince herself to do it. She also asked him to let her go, but he refused. Um, He kept saying that he just had something to do. He, uh, that somebody owed him money and they wouldn't be long. So somewhere along the way, he stopped to pick up another man who he called Tians. Tians. Okay. Mm -hmm. The driver... He called himself Clinton, drove the three of them to the outskirts of Port Elizabeth. This was an area that was deserted that everyone was told to steer clear of. This doesn't sound good. It's not going to go great for a little while. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is kind of when things start getting bad, because if they aren't really that great. I, I to think it with, started yeah. off bad to begin with. So when the car stopped, she realized that something very bad was about to happen and that she would not be returning home. She described this as turning around, looking at teens in the back seat, and seeing pure evil in his eyes. Mm. Um, they both told her they were going to have sex with her and asked if she was going to fight. And out of fear for her own life, she said, no, I don't know how to fight. I'm not a fighter. Um, She could hear the men calling each other by their real names, Tians, which we already knew, and Franz. So he was not Clinton. He was Franz. So after the two men raped her, they attempted to suffocate her. um, And at which point she became unconscious. So this um, next part is extremely graphic. This is the warning. I'm going to throw up. So fast forward if you need to. So the two men attempted to kill her by stabbing her approximately 35 times, mostly in the abdomen and pelvic area. Mm. They assumed that she was dead, but at one point her leg twitched, so then they proceeded to cut her throat 17 times. Oh, jeez. But Allison survived. 17 times in the throat? Yep. And 35 times in the abdomen. That's incredible. This is an incredible story. It gets even crazier. So, she remembers laying in the sand slash dirt and feeling like she was going to die. She could hear the horrifying noise of herself trying to breathe through her severed windpipe. Uh, She says 
At that point, she left her body and the noise stopped. Mm. Then she made a decision to re-enter her body and try to live. Mm. She didn't want her attackers to get away with this, so she began writing their names in the sand while she laid there with her finger. She wrote Tian's and friends, and she also wrote, I love mom. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So, I mean, this woman is just incredible. So she attempted to crawl to the main road. She didn't realize the extent of her injury. She said she didn't feel any pain. She just could hear the noise from her own body. When she began crawling, she realized that she had actually been disemboweled. So uh, she actually had to hold her intestines in with her shirt while she was crawling. That's incredible. I think at some point I would just be like... Right? Right. The fact that she's making the conscious effort to keep going, like she remembers specifically making these decisions over and over. And she hasn't passed out from blood loss or... It's incredible. Yeah. Okay. So um, she realized at some point she was never going to get to where she needed to be by crawling. So she was able to muster up the strength to stand up. Okay. So once she stood up, she says that she remembers only being able to look up at the sky. Um, Uh Yeah. And she was unable to move her head back down. She reached up to her neck and stuck her hand in the entire injury that she had this open gaping wound in her neck. And she realized that they had cut all of the muscles in her neck and her head was basically flopping backwards. I can't even imagine how much pain. Yo, this is horrific. Disemboweled and her head is flopping back. I can't even believe that she was standing up. And she's putting her hand like inside her body to hold it together. Yes, so she actually says she grabbed the back of her head and pulled it forward so she could see Mm. straight to where she was going. So at this point, she actually claims to have been lifted by an unseen presence and carried to a nearby road. Because it was a pretty far walk for anybody from where they were to the road. She woke up in the middle of the road where a motorist stopped and stayed with her. Until help arrived, which is approximately 45 minutes later. Yikes. The motorist is said to, when he stopped and stayed with her, he obviously uh, held her hand and tried to calm her down. And he noticed her eyes were completely bloodshot, likely from when they tried to (coughs) strangle her um, and just tried to keep her calm. And he covered her up with his own shirt. And he later in the story goes on to say that this helped him in his life. Um, decide what he wanted to do with his career and he became a doctor after all this so kind of a heartwarming story there so once she was brought to the hospital doctors said that her injuries were unlike anything they'd ever seen however slowly but surely she recovered so some of her injuries that i spoke about her throat had been cut ear to ear and her trachea had also been cut she was breathing through the hole that was cut into her trachea She had a large part of her bowel outside of her body, but despite her injuries being grossly contaminated with sand and dirt from crawling and laying in the sand, um, she never developed any infection from any of this. Mm. After she started to recover, she was able to identify her attackers, and they were put on trial. At that time in South Africa, the victim had to place a hand on the shoulder of the perpetrator during the identification process so a picture could be taken. Um, 
they felt that it would be better for Allison to identify them from behind a one-way glass. Mm-hmm. Mm, sure. So the process of identifying perpetrators has now been changed to the way that it was done during this trial because they feel that that's probably a better way to do it. So most definitely, yeah, it's kind of a protects them. Yeah, kind of a good movement makes them so they don't have to like relive their trauma, basically. Yep. So Tians and Franz identified themselves as Satanists who enacted ritual abuse. Franz requested an exorcism during his incarceration. He confused... <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like, okay. Yeah, no, he's full of shit. And I actually kind of wrote that here. I said he confused two different demons during his exorcism, and they were able to determine that he was basically full of shit. Oh, is that the scientific term? <laughs> That's what I wrote. Medical term? <laughs> you, sir, are full of the shit. You are a liar, Franz. <laughs> so the person that was in charge of the exorcism testified this, though, in court, saying... Like, actual priests came out? Yep. And testified in court, saying mm. that he lied. He didn't know what he was talking right. about during... He was making things up. He's faking it. He's a faker. Full of shit. That's right. <laughs> and now we're back to our musical. <laughs> we're back to our <laughs> musical edition of the true crime stories. <laughs> okay. The, de- the, the detective in charge of the case said that the men were never handcuffed during the trial in hopes that they would run so that they would be shot. Oh, so they were just like, we hate them this they much. They testing them, yep. I mean, fair. That's awful it. still. Franz's father couldn't deal with what his son had done, and two years later he committed suicide. Aww. They were both served life sentences in August of 1995. The judge made notes on both of their records that he never wanted them to re- be released from prison. Tians shouted, fuck you all, before t- being taken away. Okay. Oh, okay. That's going to go just great. like, I'm done with this. Bye. Yeah, I'm done with you, Tians. You suck. All right. Allison, she struggled with depression and couldn't work after sure. her attack. Uh, understandable. Right. <laughs> so I get that. She knew that this had changed her, but couldn't figure out how to move forward. She began traveling around the world, telling her story. Um, she became the first South African woman to speak publicly about the experience of rape and in 1985 won multiple awards for her courage. After her attack, she was told that she wouldn't be able to have children, but she was able to have two healthy pregnancies Aww, and birth two healthy babies. Look at that. So there you go. Um, she's now seen as one of South Africa's most inspiring figures and is quoted as saying, Life can sometimes make us feel like the victim. Problems and hardships and traumas are dished out to all of us, and sometimes they can be divided very unfairly. Remind yourself that you do not have to take responsibility for what others do. Life is not a collection of what happens to you, but how you've responded to what has happened to you. That's awesome. She's, like, able to turn that around and see something good from it. Yeah. Yeah, so I was hearing during this documentary also that um, teens and Franz have come up for parole multiple times, despite the judge's recommendation to never let them be up for parole. Oh. Um, they haven't been released yet, but there's been um, communication from within the prison. Like, they've been able to get her email address. Oh, no. And contact her. And one of them is even um, claiming that he wants some of the money that she's making off of her success story. Because if it weren't for him, no, she wouldn't be successful. No. And that's how you know you're dealing with a giant piece of shit. Yeah, you can go fuck yourself. Fuck right off, Franz and Tia's. Tians. 
Anyways, mm-hmm. thought that was a very cool story, actually. Yeah. Cool and horrific at the same time, but she's yeah. pretty amazing. I mean, that's Love amazing that she survived. Story. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Strong work. I like it. And we don't get too many survivor stories when we do true crime, so that was kind of refreshing. Yeah. I didn't mention that um, I watched the documentary on Prime Video called Allison. That's where I got most of this I from. I was wondering. Yeah. It's fascinating. I highly recommend, although I might have just told you the entire story. But so they I have a lot. She is actually the one talking the mm-hmm. whole time, so mm-hmm. it's pretty cool to hear her it's like her first only survived. It's cool yeah. that she still has like a voice. Oh my gosh, yeah. She what they did to her throat. To, she's incredible. She's That's awesome. Really cool person. I'd like to meet her someday. Definitely. There you go. All right. Love it. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. Spin that wheel. <laughs> Um, I'm next. Dang it! <laughs> I was like staring at her smiling like, me, me, me. Dang it. It's um, and now. <laughs> this wheel doesn't like you, Lindsay. It doesn't. Y'all, I'm not a lucky person, so I'm not surprised here at all. <laughs> okay. We are traveling to China. Okay. We, we haven't all been did there international. Yet. Look at us. China and what? <laughs> Sorry, pronounce China. 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 Okay. China. China. Uh huh. <clears throat> and so I will Just also keep waiting for that musical episode, guys. It's coming. <laughs> I'll also have some words that are. Probably mispronounced, and I'm just gonna go right through it. You just bulldoze through those words. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, oh. my! You good? I'm good. I okay. had one cough. You're not allowed. The rest of us can cough, but you can. Rona. <laughs> Is that you? Stay over there. <laughs> That's a bad okay. word. Part of our musical. All right. This is on the persecution of Falun Gong. What? Okay. <laughs> Got it. I don't know. Lindsay, is this funny? <laughs> is genocide funny to you? <laughs> Why do you got to say it like that? Yeah, For all Lindsay, I know, he yeah, could have been the survivor. He could have been the survivor. <laughs> it's not a person. It's a group. Oh, oh I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know that. Inform us. Then why are you already laughing? <laughs> because the thing was funny. <laughs> you can take that part out. Please take that part out because that's probably offensive. Especially when you said I was laughing at genocide and then I laughed harder. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. I thought that was a person. I'm sorry. It's funnier when it was a person. But... When it's a group that commits genocide, you make me sound like an asshole. <laughs> okay. You're still wrong. Okay. Why don't you listen to my story? Okay, it. Sorry. Then we'll chit chat. I won't laugh. Okay. Um, okay, so the persecution of <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know it was going to be that bad. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I'm listening. Okay, cool. All right, the persecution of Falun Gong is, just a little short blurb on it, the anti-religious campaign initiated in 1999 by the Communist Party of China to eliminate the spiritual practice of Falun Gong in China, 
which maintains a doctrine of a state of atheism. So, essentially, this is a group. It's a religious group. China is non-religious. And um, those two things clash. Got it. Here we go. Uh, Here we go. Here we go. Here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yes. Okay, so background. Falun Gong is a form of spiritual Chi Gong practice that involved meditate. Okay. You guys are going to have to try and get through this. It's a lot of words like this. But you're just like (laughs) powering through. There's a lot of words like this. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of words like this. You're You're doing a great job. You're going to have to power through. Okay, Okay. All right. Falun Gong is a form of spiritual qigong practice that involved meditation, energy exercises, and a moral philosophy drawing on Buddhist tradition. The practice was initially supported, but after they resisted the establishment of Communist Party branches within the qigong and more control from the government, they withdrew drew from state-run qigong associations so qigong is this overarching branch falun gong is um kind of a an an offshoot from it and uh the government wanted to kind of gain control over all of these people and they didn't want to be controlled essentially So after they severed ties with the state, the group came under criticism and increasing surveillance from the country's security and (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm trying to to not say anything up. Remix. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A spin. uh, Yeah, a spin. Back in the day. Um, The group came under criticism and increasing surveillance from the country's security and propaganda department. Tensions Mm -hmm. rose through the late 1990s. Books were banned from publication. Official news outlets began criticizing the group publicly, saying the organization was at odds with the official ideology and national agenda. By 1999, surveys estimated as many as 70 million people were practicing Falun Gong in China. Wow. And the government grew wary of the potential for an uprising, that's I guess, a lot of is people. how I would put it. it well, there's a lot of yeah. people in China, but yeah, that's a lot of people. Million people. I mean, 70 million is still a lot, yeah. On April 22nd in 1999, several dozen Falun Gong practitioners were beaten and arrested in the city of Tianjin while staging a peaceful sit-in. And just three days later on the 25th, upwards of 10,000 Falun Gong practitioners assembled peacefully near the government compound in Beijing to request the release of those uh, previously arrested practitioners. Um, and to end the escalating harassment against the group as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, it was their attempt to address the government by going straight to the source, as well as quietly and politely making it clear that they would not be treated this way. Several Falun Gong representatives met with then-premier Zhu Ranji, who assured them that the government was not against the Falun Gong, and he promised that the Tianjin practitioners would be released. So the crowd outside dispersed peacefully, um, apparently believing that their demonstration had been a success. So on the night of the 25th, 
then-Communist Party General Secretary Jiang Zemin issued a letter indicating his desire to see Falun Gong defeated. The letter expressed alarm at Falun Gong's popularity, particularly among Communist Party members. Rumors of an impending crackdown began circulating throughout China, prompting demonstrations and petitions. The government pu publicly denied the reports, calling them completely baseless and offering assurances that it had never banned Qigong activities. Uh, so just after midnight on... July 20th in 1999, public security officers seized hundreds of Falun Gong practitioners from their homes in cities across China. Uh, estimates on the number of arrests vary from several hundred to over uh, 5,600. A Hong Kong newspaper reported that 50,000 individuals were detained in the first week of the crackdown. Jeez, where'd they get all that prison space? Four Falun Gong <laughs> coordinators in Beijing were arrested. Yeah. And quickly tried on the charges of leaking state secrets. The Public Security Bureau ordered churches, temples, mosques, newspapers, media, courts, and police to suppress the Falun Gong. The three days of massive demonstrations by practitioners in some 30 cities followed. So in Beijing and other cities, protesters were detained in sports stadiums is the answers to... Where they find the prison Where space? Where did they find the prison space? So they're just sitting in the spectator seats. <laughs> Probably not as nicely. <laughs> just, okay. That's crazy. Editorials in state-run newspapers urged people to give up Falun Gong practice, and Communist Party members in particular were reminded that they were atheists and must not allow themselves to, quote, become superstitious by continuing to practice Falun Gong. A turning point in the government's campaign against Falun Gong occurred on January 23rd, 2001, when five people set themselves on fire in Tiananmen Square. Well, that escalated quickly. I'm remembering this a little bit, yeah. Chinese government sources declared immediately there were Falun Gong practitioners driven to suicide by the practice mm. and filled the nation's media outlets with graphic images and fresh denunciations of the practice. That's got to be the worst way to go. Falun Gong sources disputed the accuracy of the government's narrative, noting that their teaching explicitly forbid violence or suicide. Mm -hmm. Several Western journalists and scholars also noted inconsistencies in the <clears throat> official account of events, leading many to believe the self-immolation may have been staged to discredit the Falun Gong. The government did not permit independent investigations and denied Western journalists or human rights groups to access the victims. Mm. However, two weeks after uh, the incident, the Washington Post published an investigation into the identity of two of the victims and found that, quote, no one ever saw them practice Falun Gong. Hmm. Hmm. Staged. Interesting. The campaign of... Oh. <laughs> the campaign of the state propaganda that followed the event eroded public sympathy for the Falun Gong. So, how was the anti-Falun Gong campaign handled? Um, it was basically characterized by a propaganda campaign, a program of enforced ideological conversion and re-education, and a variety of coercive measures like arbitrary arrests, forced labor, and physical torture, sometimes resulting in death. 
Or just mm. sometimes. Just sometimes. Sometimes. Oh, hello there, Caesar. The, oh, look who's friendly with the kid day. Right. The authorities, I just said hi. The authorities mobilized the state media, police, army, the oh, education okay. system. Just breathe and it's going to be fine. Hi, Caesar. I'll be nice. I'm trying to get his attention for you. Hi, kitty. He's going to jump up there. I know he is. I mm. You can sense your fear and he wants to soothe you. Oh my gosh, he's touching me. Hi, Caesar. You put a paw on my shoulder. <laughs> Get her, Caesar. Caesar, what you doing? Go over to Sarah. She wants to see you. I'll, I'll take you. Oh, he's on my leg. Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm going to pee my pants. just pet him? Oh. Oh. Who are you? Aww. He's so nice. Aww. I feel like we're witnessing a moment here. Oh, gosh, he's getting too close. This is... <laughs> I'm... Oh, he's licking my arm. Okay. It's better than biting. Okay, he loves you. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. <laughs> I was gonna feel like we made a lot of progress there, but now it's time for you to leave. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I'm bye. so proud of you. <laughs> my hands are all sweaty. <laughs> Knees weak, arms are heavy. Mom's spaghetti. Mom's spaghetti. I'm like, my heart's racing real fast. Let's check my heart rate right now. <laughs> All right, it was at 85 beats per minute. Now, now it's at 92. <laughs> so seven beats higher. Okay. Oh no, now it's at 102. Oh god. Oh, god. Here we go. Here we go. SVT. And now he's leaving the room. You can take a deep breath. <laughs> okay. 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 He touched me a lot. Okay. <laughs> mm, maybe that sounded don't, more dramatic than <laughs> Maybe edit that part don't, out. Don't talk like that about my cat. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to the Falun Gong. Yeah, sorry. The authorities mobilized the state media, the police, the army, the education system, families, and workplaces against the group. The campaign was driven by large-scale propaganda through television, newspaper, radio, and internet. Yeah. There are reports of systematic torture, illegal imprisonment, forced labor, abusive psychiatric measures with the apparent aim of forcing practitioners to recant their belief in the Falun Gong. Mm. Oh, and I forgot about the organ harvesting. Oh, what? Gosh. How did you forget? So, minor, minor note. While Mike was away for eight days, I binged on Amazon Prime. And watched hundreds, not hundreds, but lots of documentaries. Mm-hmm. And I found one called Organ Harvest. Oh, that sounds lovely. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> I haven't either. It, I mean, it sounds worse than, I mean, it looked innocent at the time, but I guess looking back at it and like saying it out loud, it doesn't sound so innocent. <laughs> what, what part of it made you think it was innocent? You've been desensitized. I mean, like, I, like. I like medicine. I work in the medical field. I I am an organ donor. Shall I pass? Um, but was this like voluntary that I watched or- it? No. Okay. So organ donation. Yeah. Let's talk about it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, what about the story makes you think it was voluntary? 
it nothing about this story makes me feel voluntary. I mean, Perfect. I get what you're saying about yeah, the yeah. medicine, but this doesn't. Sound I'm just like trying that. to validate why I watched something called Organ okay. Harvest. <laughs> okay, I, I understand. <laughs> you don't have to validate. We watch true crime and stuff all the time. <laughs> um, so in 2006, allegations emerged that many Falun Gong pr- practitioners had been killed to supplies China to supply China's organ transplant industry. Mm-hmm. These allegations prompted an investigation by former Canadian Secretary of State David Kilgore and human rights lawyer David Matt- Mattis? Mattis. That sounds right. In July of 2006, the Kilgore-Mattis report found that the source of 41,500 transplants for the six-year period from 2000 to 2005 is unexplained and concluded that the government of China and its agencies in numerous parts of the country, in particular hospitals, but also detention centers, since 1999 have put to death a large but unknown number of Falun Gong prisoners of conscience. The Kilgore-Mattis report called attention to extremely short wait times for organs in China, one to two Uh weeks for a liver, compared with 32 and a half months in Canada, indicating that organs were being procured on demand. Oh my gosh. A significant increase in the number of annual organ transplants in China beginning in 1999 corresponded with the onset of the persecution of the Falun Gong. Despite very low levels of voluntary organ donation, China performs the second highest number of transplants per year. Kilgore and Mattis also presented incriminating material from Chinese transplant center websites and advertising, um, saying that they advertise the immediate availability of organs from living donors, as well as transcripts of telephone interviews in which hospitals told prospective transplant recipients that they could obtain Falun Gong organs specifically. Okay. And in that documentary... I'm trying to hide it. They, no. They play, they play the, the transcripts. It's somebody, you know, comment calling from Canada or the States speaking Mandarin well, and they're calling over to these hospitals and asking specifically for a Falun Gong kidney or a Falun Gong liver. Because they know it'll be fast or? Yes. Okay. And they're like, yeah, we have that. Oh my gosh. No, we don't have it, but we'll get it. (laughs) Yeah. So in 2014, investigative journalist Ethan Gutman published the results of his own investigation. He conducted extensive interviews with former detainees in Chinese labor camps and prisons, as well as former security officers and medical professionals with knowledge of China's transplant practices. He reported that organ harvesting harvesting from political prisoners likely began in the 1990s and then spread nationwide. Um, Gutman estimated that some 6,400, no, 64,000 Falun Gong prisoners may have been killed for their organs between the years 2000 and 2008. Um, in 2016, the researchers published a joint update to their findings showing that the number of organ transplants conducted in China is much higher than previously believed, and that the death from illicit organ harvesting could be as high as 1.5 million. In December 2005 and November 2006, China's deputy health minister acknowledged that the practice of removing organs from executed prisoners for transplants was widespread. Hmm. However, Chinese officials deny that Falun Gong practitioners' organs are being harvested and insist that China abides by World Health Organization principles that prohibit the sale of human organs without written consent from donors. 
Insert my sure Jan. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Very much sure Jan. In May 2008, the two United Nations special reporters reiterated their request for the Chinese authorities to adequately respond to the allegations and to provide a source for the organs that would account for the sudden increase in organ transplants in China since 2000. In June of 2019, an independent tribunal sitting in London named the China Tribunal established to inquire into forced organ harvesting from and among prisoners of conscience in China, stating that the members of the Falun Gong spiritual group continue to be murdered by China for their organs. So that's 2019. That's oh yes, gosh. so soon. Right. The tribunal said that it had clear evidence that forced organ harvesting has been taking place in China for at least over 20 years. China has repeatedly denied the accusations, claiming wow. to have stopped using the organs from executed prisoners in 2015. Mm-hmm. However, the lawyers and experts at the China Tribunal are convinced that the practice is still taking place with the imprisoned Falun Gong members, probably the principal source of organs for forced harvesting. Hmm. Um, Foreign observers estimate that hundreds of thousands and perhaps millions of Falun Gong practitioners have been detained in re-education through labor camps, prisons, and other detention facilities for refusing to renounce the spiritual practice. Former prisoners have reported that Falun Gong practitioners consistently received the longest sentences and worst treatment in labor camps. And in some facilities, Falun Gong practitioners formed the substantial majority of detainees. So, as of 2009, at least 2,000 Falun Gong practitioners had been reportedly tortured to death in in the persecution campaign. Some international observers and judicial authorities have described the campaign against the Falun Gong as genocide. In 2009, courts in Spain and Argentina um, indicted senior Chinese officials for genocide and crimes against humanity for their role in orchestrating the suppression of the Falun Gong. Um, An initial investigation found that the source of 41,500 transplants for the six-year period from 2000 to 2005 is unexplained, and concluded that there has been and continues today to be large-scale organ seizures from unwilling Falun Gong practitioners. Following additional analysis, the researchers significantly raised the estimates on the number of Falun Gong practitioners who may have been targeted for organ harvesting. In 2008, United Nations Special Report reiterated their request for the Chinese government to fully explain the allegation of taking vital organs from Falun Gong practitioners and the source of the organs for the sudden increase in organ transplants that has been going on since 2000. And that is the Falun Gong persecution. Dude. That's intense. Yeah. Man, so I watched that that documentary that you recommended. (laughs) Words are hard. Which one? Um, One Child Nation, I think is what it was. One One Child Nation is uh, the documentary that started my documentary train. So that was in China, too. It's the documentary that started. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm getting a lot of, like, kind of similar vibes of just... yeah. I don't the know how awful we can people. say yeah. things about. Uh, well, it's just, just a different world over based there. Off of the um, off the documentary, documentary. That's mm-hmm. all that um, that they just um, kind of take care of things. 
that they don't agree with. Yes. 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 And it's just interesting. I, I mean, I am completely naive to how yeah. things are handled. So I was I guess I am, surprised. I am very grateful to live in a place where I can voice my opinion on things without fear of persecution. No joke. You know? If you haven't watched that one yet, you need to watch it. I haven't. I need to. Yeah. It was very eye-opening, I will say. So One Child Nation is a documentary about the one-child rule in China. Mm-hmm. And they used propaganda for years for, to try to yes. impose that rule. Yes. It's it's really eye-opening. And the sad part, one of the, I mean, it's it's all sad. I mean, right. sad topic. Sh- there were children thrown into into trash dumps i mean hundreds thousands of them and it's weird because you hear about this one child rule and you think oh that's the problem yeah you know right that sounds like it makes sense for overpopulation and then you hear how things actually went down and you're like yes i didn't even think about that so it was and you never hmm. think um you know those who made it to orphanages and were Mm -hmm. adopted there's it's so hard to come back and to find mm-hmm. their birth parents because no, there sure. was no documentation yeah. because you it was common to get in trouble if mm-hmm. you had a second third child mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so people don't didn't want to get in trouble they had these children in private and then threw them away mm-hmm. um in a lot of instances uh, the would children on the side of the road, and people would pick them up and take them to orphanages yep. and make money off of the mm. the, the child. People and made the money off of picking kids up off the side of the road right. and turning them in. It's like they're picking up cans. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely crazy. They had forced like sterilization this. for the women. They would force them to be sterilized. I mean, it's just um, it was very eye opening. It like was, and at the end of the documentary, it it twists it because it's showing well now we don't know that you know we're we're having enough we have enough what females to oh, to repopulate to repopulate mm-hmm. yeah it, it, something like that i could be twisting those words but it's just sad did you watch it's a girl i haven't watched that one yet but i will that's a good one uh, it kind of feeds off of that and I imagine so i i somehow went from that one to Allison. <laughs> I had a dark day, okay? <laughs> I had a dark week of yeah, documentaries. Yeah. And it's a girl feeds off of it because um, it's, you Ouch. know, so the One Child Nation, a lot of the families wanted a boy. Right. So and they, dumped the girl they wanted, yeah, and they yeah. wanted a boy because to the boys can carry on the name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they still talk about it. Like the elders will still talk about yes. it. Yes, and so it's a girl focuses on that aspect in China, but it also focuses on it in India, where um, in India the practice is it was I I am not up to date on current events, yeah. Yeah. Um, but men when they get married, the women's family have to give the men gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you have a boy, your family gets gifts. If you have a girl, Uh, you have to give gifts. And if you're poor and you don't have enough gifts, or if your gifts are not good, your daughter can be killed for not good gift giving. Okay. I think I've seen a few, um, documentaries about those. They call it a certain type of. Yeah. I forgot the word. Yep. It's at the tip of my tongue. I'll think of it at Mm -hmm. some point, but I've seen it on there too. 
Ooh. Anyway. I've got some watching to do. You do too. Documentary black hole. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. You're up. It's I'm your up. turn. That was depressing. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Mine's <laughs> not going to be any better. some depressing stories. <laughs> I mean, this is what true crime is, y'all. It's depressing. So mine's not going to be any better. Um, we're going to England. England. To talk about. <laughs> was that a, was I that burped as I was saying oh, okay. that. Oh. You <laughs> were just sure. very excited about England. <laughs> what was happening? I was excited and I burped and. And side note, everyone, this is the first week that I don't, that I think we were not like, which one are you doing? Which country did you pick? I know. You're right. And we all picked different countries and we didn't even check with each other. Well, I think I did say, have you watched this episode? You did episode? say that, but I, I didn't did. even know what it was and I didn't even Google it. I did have to make sure because you were on a roll with Prime documentaries. I knew so. for a fact nobody was going to do the persecution of Falun Gong. No, I did not. I did not think of that one. Um, I was going to do it next week. So. Sorry, I took it from you. So I am doing Beverly Allett in England. Okay. And she's known as the Angel of Death. Okay. Okay. Was she a nurse? Female serial killer who was a nurse. Mm-hmm. All right. She All was... nurses are known as the Angel of Death. She was born October 4th, 1968. And was one of four children and grew up near Grantham, England. As a child, she would wear bandages and casts over wounds and use these to draw attention to herself, but would not let the injuries be examined. She was described as attention-seeking, spent a lot of time in hospital seeking medical attention for a string of ailments. She had an appendectomy, but had a perfectly healthy appendix. Who did that surgery? <laughs> it was very slow to heal because she kept interfering with the surgical scar. Okay. Aww. All right. She self-harmed. She hopped from doctor to doctor in various hospitals. So her behavior in adole- adolescence whoop, <laughs> appeared to be typical of what? Can you guys Munchausen's. Guess? Munchausen's. I've been waiting to ask. I thought you were going to ask, and I was like, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> I asked you. Thanks. Um, which is actually called a uh, fictitious disorder um, in the DSM. It's just commonly known as Munchausen's. Fun fact. But when she was getting ignored by providers, she began to resort to Munchausen's by proxy. Oh, no. That's oh. worse. Which is fictitious, di- fictitious disorder imposed on another. <laughs> so she became, I'm going to put nurse. In quotations. Okay. Um, Air quotes. She was suspected of odd behavior, like when she worked in the nursing home, she would smear feces on the walls and mm-hmm. then not own up to it. Um, <laughs> like, mean, blame I, it on I residents. Would, I wouldn't own up to that either. <laughs> I, I, I didn't was? see if it was hers or residents. I hope it, maybe she just grabbed a dirty diaper. I would hope. Oh, yeah, either I way. I mean, either way, it's messed up, y'all. Touch That's tea. just showing some psychological disturbances. <laughs> um, she missed a lot of work because of her illnesses, y'all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Her boyfriend at the time said she was aggressive, manipulative, deceptive. She claimed false pregnancy and rape oh, all before he ended their relationship. Wow. Like, dude, maybe you should have ended the relationship a little bit sooner. Yeah, but he put up with some stuff. He put up with some stuff. So despite her poor attendance at her jobs, and I said nurse because she failed her nursing exams. Ah, gotcha. So she was never actually a nurse. So despite all of this, she was taken on a temporary six-month contract at Grantham and Kesteven Hospital in Lincolnshire in 1991. They were chronically understaffed and were desperate. So they're like, look, we don't care that you have poor attendance and that you were sick all the time and that you didn't pass your your boards. (laughs) Come on over. We just need someone. 
They put her on the children's ward. Oh, boy. I know. Sorry, guys. This is going to have some child death. Um, (laughs) I said that real casual, but Um, They were so understaffed that they had two nurses on the day shift and one nurse on the night shift. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not many. That's not very many, guys. That's really bad staffing. Really bad staffing. I'm assuming there was probably, you know, more than just two patients. There were. There were more than two patients at a time. Yeah. So, it started February 21st, 1991, with a seven-month-old named Liam Taylor. He was admitted for a chest infection. Beverly went out of her way to reassure the parents that he was in capable hands and said, go home, go home and rest. When they returned, she told them Liam had suffered a respiratory emergency but had recovered. So, she volunteered for extra night duty so she could watch him, and his parents were like, we're going to stay the night at the hospital, too. So Liam had another respiratory crisis just before midnight. He was coming through it, but Beverly was left alone with him, and his condition all of a sudden worsened dramatically. He became deathly pale with red blotches on his face before she summoned the emergency resuscitation team, which I'm guessing is like the code team. Other medical staff noticed it was odd that there was no alarm monitors connected to him at the time, and they had, which is why like when he stopped breathing, like nothing had sounded. Liam suffered cardiac arrest and severe brain damage and was on life support. His parents removed him from the life support with cause of death being heart failure. Hmm. On February 22nd, so the next day, Beverly was never questioned. So, March 5th, 1991, like a week later, Timothy Hardwick, 11 years old, he had a cerebral palsy and he was admitted after um, he had epilepsy as well and he was having some seizures, so he was admitted. Beverly was his nurse and was alone with him because, again, they had, like, horrible nursing ratios. She summoned the code team um, when she found him without a pulse and turning blue. The autopsy later failed to provide an obvious cause of death, um, but they blamed his epilepsy, essentially. March 8th, 1991. Like, if you guys are keeping track of the timelines, this is three days later. Like, she's not giving any time in between. Wow. One-year-old Kaylee Desmond admitted on March 3rd with a chest infection, and she was recovering, doing really well. Five days after she was admitted on the 8th, with Beverly attending as her nurse, she went into cardiac arrest in the same bed where the seven-month-old Liam Taylor had died. Yuck. The code team was called. They were able to revive her, and she was transferred to another hospital in Nottingham. Uh, Physicians there discovered an odd puncture hole under her armpit during an exam. They also discovered an air bubble near the mark, which they said, oh, that must have been like an accidental injection. Nope. So Kaylee survived because she went to a different hospital. How do you accidentally inject under an armpit? And have an air bubble there. After she was recovering and then all of a sudden went into cardiac arrest. Hmm. March 20th, 1991. So this is about two weeks later. Five-month-old Paul Crampton. He was admitted on March 20th for a non-serious bronchial infection. Just before he was discharged, Beverly was with him alone and summoned help as he appeared to be suffering from insulin shock, going into a near coma on three separate occasions. Each time, the doctors revived him, but they were unable to explain the fluctuation in his insulin levels because he was there for a bronchial infection. He was taken by ambulance to another hospital in Nottingham, and Beverly rode with him in the ambulance. No. Upon arrival to the new ambulance, to the new ambulance, to the new hospital, he was again found to have too much insulin. Okay. He did survive, likely because he was at another hospital. And Check her pockets. <laughs> she couldn't take care of him. Red flags everywhere. So what you're going to see is like 
all the children who survived was because they were transferred to another hospital and got yeah. away from her. Hmm. Bradley Gibson, five years old, the next day. So okay. after she transferred this kid to yeah. the other hospital. She needs a day off. <laughs> she works a lot. She does. The next day, Bradley Gibson went into unexpected cardiac arrest. He was hospitalized for pneumonia. Mm. He was saved by the code team, but blood tests showed that his insulin level was high, which made no sense to the doctors. Beverly was attending to him that night, and he had another heart attack. He was transported to Nottingham, where he recovered. Still no investigation. Despite all of this has happened within a month. And all the insulin. Like, these are all red And flags. kids. All these kids going into cardiac arrest. Why would they have too much insulin? <sighs> March 22nd, 1991. Two-year-old Yuck Hung Chain. Also went by Henry. He turned blue and appeared in considerable distress when Beverly called the code team. He was resuscitated and was doing well, but then another attack resulted in him being transferred to the Nottingham Hospital, mm. where he recovered. He was in the hospital because he had a fractured skull because of a fall. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, This is the worst one, in my opinion. April 1st, 1991. Twins, Katie and Becky Phillips. Two months old. They were in the NICU because they were born premature. So Becky was brought to the children's ward where Beverly was because she had gastro gastroenteritis i forgot the r but gastro <laughs> i was like what is gastro oh gastro new, um new term. new term two days later on april 3rd beverly called the code team because becky appeared hypoglycemic and cold to the touch okay nothing was found they revived her and she was discharged home a little bit annoyed about all these insulin <laughs> instances come on this makes me so sad because of this so she's discharged home her parents are like, we're a little worried. We're just going to have her sleep in our bed with us. During the night, she went into convulsions and cried out in pain. But the doctor said, it's just colic. Aww. They woke up and she had died Aww. during the night. And the autopsy said no clear cause of death. And they just thought it was SIDS. Oh, Those poor parents poor blame themselves. Yeah. But here, the other twin, Katie, was home with them. She was admitted back to the hospital. As a precaution, because they're like, what if something happened while they were in the hospital? Let's observe the other twin. And Beverly cared for her as well. She summoned a code team to revive Katie when she had stopped breathing one night. They were successful, but two days later, she suffered another attack, which resulted in the collapse of both of her lungs. Oh, two months old. She was transferred to Nottingham after being resuscitated, and it was found that five of her ribs were broken, in addition to serious brain damage as a result of the deprivation of her oxygen oh my god katie's mother sue phillips asked beverly to be the godmother because she thought that she had saved katie's life even though because of a result of you know her oxygen being deprived from her brain she had partial paralysis cerebral palsy and sight and hearing damage okay oh wow so she asked the woman who basically killed one of her daughters and then permanently disabled the other daughter to be the godmother so Nobody questioned why she had broken ribs? No. They assumed it was because they were resuscitating her. At least that's what I assumed it was from. I mean, okay. But still, two months old. But didn't she have collapsed lungs? Yeah. From broken ribs. So. uh, I thought that was before the resuscitation. No, they resuscitated her twice and then transferred her. And at the new hospital, they were like, five of her ribs were broken. Okay. Okay. Um, so finally, suspicions are starting to be raised at the hospital. They're like, something's not right here. Oh. Hmm. 
So the last victim was on April 22nd, 1991, and this was 15-month-old Claire Peck. She was an asthmatic child who required a breathing tube. She was in Beverly's care literally for only a few minutes, and then the child suffered cardiac arrest. What? Yeah. The code team was called. They revived her successfully. But again, she was alone in Beverly's care and suffered another cardiac arrest. And this time they were unable to revive her. Autopsy revealed she had died from natural causes. Okay. I don't like this um, autopsy. What's the name of the doctor who does autopsy? Medical autopsies? examiner. Medical examiner. I want to say mortician. I knew that was wrong. An inquiry was initiated by a consultant at the hospital, Dr. Nelson Porter, who was alarmed at the high number of cardiac arrests over the past two months in the children's ward. Yeah. I say so. That's, That's what's strange. crazy. This started in February and the last case was April 22nd. This literally happened like 56 days. Yeah. Um, They suspected that it was an airborne virus at first, but they couldn't find anything to back that up. So then they started running, like, tests on all of these children. Um, And a test revealed high levels of potassium in Claire's blood, resulting in police being summoned 18 18 days after her death. They exhumed her body, because she'd already been buried by that point, and discovered traces of lignocaine. Lidocaine? No, L-I-G-N-O. Oh. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Um, But it's a drug used during cardiac arrest, but should never be given to a child, they said. Um, so there's four deaths, Liam, who's the seven month old, Timothy, the 11 year old, Becky, the twin and Claire, the 15 month old. There's a couple other attempts. Michael Davidson was six years old, who was admitted for post-op care following an operation to remove like an air rifle pellet, like something really minor. He was injected with insulin multiple times through an IV on his hand, suffered from cyanosis and fell unconscious before being stabilized by another doctor on the ward. So another doctor like intervened in saved him so at this point the police superintendent Stuart clifton suspected foul play and he examined all the suspicious cases finding inordinately inordinately high doses of insulin in most of them beverly had reported that the key was missing to the insulin refrigerator just random fact so police installed security cameras on all of the units um interviewed all of the parents of the victims and looked at all of the hospital records during the record checks, they discover there's a lot of missing daily nursing logs. Uh-huh. There's 25 separate suspicious episodes, 13 victims, four dead. Beverly was the only common factor in all of them. Yep. And all this happened over 59 days, two months. So by July 26, police felt that they had sufficient evidence to charge her, but she was not formally charged until November of 1991. So Beverly was calm when she was arrested and during her interrogation, she denied any part in the attacks, insisted that she had just been caring for the children. Search of her home revealed part of the missing nurses' logs, and they did some further extensive background checks showing patterns of behavior pointing to Munchausen's and Munchausen's by proxy. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for y'all people at home, Munchausen or fictitious disorder Physical or psychological symptoms are either self-induced or feigned in oneself to gain attention. There's no obvious reward to gain. And um, by proxy is inflicting injury on others to gain attention for oneself in some kind of caregiver sort of role. Most of them are like, you typically think like mothers and children, um, child abuse kind of roles. Um, And it's called Munchausen's because it's named after this guy. Munchausen? That's his last name. Mr. It's Munchausen. Freer von Munchausen. <laughs> I, von I totally Munchausen. butchered mm-hmm. his first name. Hey, I looked it up. Lignocaine is also known as lidocaine. Oh, it is lidocaine. There you, there you go. I didn't know that. 
a German cavalry officer. Uh, he was well known for exaggerating his v- adventures, and they became like more expansive and outlandish and all this stuff. So hmm. that's how it became known as Munchausen. Um, so case studies suggest that the two main groups of people most commonly affected by fictitious disorder or Munchausens are women between the ages of 20 and 40 with a healthcare background, which Uh-oh. is Beverly, and unmarried white men aged between 30 and 50. Uh. So back to Beverly. She refused to confess. She pled not guilty to all charges. She was charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, and 11 counts of causing grievous bodily harm. Waiting trial... She lost 70 pounds and developed anorexia, which psychologists said was further indicating her psychological problems and making herself sick. Right. Her trial was delayed several times due to her illnesses. Mm. She went to trial eventually at Nottingham Crown Court on February 15, 1993. Prosecutors showed she was present at every episode. They also showed that there was a lack of episodes when she was taken off the ward or not working. There was evidence about high readings of insulin and potassium in each of the victims, as well as drug injection and puncture marks they found. She was further accused of cutting off her victims' oxygen, either by smothering them or tampering with their machines. Yeah. Get out of here, Beverly. Trial lasted two months, and she attended only 16 days due to her illnesses. What? How can you just not... She was sick. Not attend. She was sick. I mean... (laughs) You can't call her ass there. They couldn't just keep prolonging it. So they're like, look, either you show up or you don't, but we're having trial you. can't call in sick that. to your murder hearing. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> be there. She was convicted on May 28th, 1993, and given 13 life sentences Thank for God. murder and attempted murder, which was the harshest sentence ever delivered to a female at that time. According to Mr. Justice Latham, it was com- commensurate. Com- commensurate. Commensurate. Yep. With the horrific suffering of the victims, their families, and the agnomeny, which is like disgrace, that she had brought upon nursing as a profession. Yeah. <laughs> Get her. Get her. <laughs> um, so the aftermath, the maternity unit was closed down altogether at the hospital because like, she just wreaked havoc there for two months. Well, and she wasn't caught. Yeah, and she wasn't caught for so long. Yeah. Um, Beverly was incarcerated at Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottingham, which is a high security facility housing mainly those under the Mental Health Act. So it's more like a psych hospital than a prison. She reportedly told friends before her trial that she would never go to prison. After one week in prison, she refused to eat or drink and was moved to Rampton. Although, this is what makes me mad. Two leading... Two leading, I don't want to eat. I'm done. But what makes me mad is that two leading experts, a forensic psychologist and a criminologist, both examined her mental state during the trial and stated that she was not mentally ill. She should be in prison, not a hospital. They're like, she's competent. She knows what she's doing. And they still moved her to a hospital because she refused to eat. Mm. So she's been there ever since. Um, once she got to the hospital, she began her attention-seeking behavior again. She ingested ground glass. She poured boiling water on her hand. Um, since then, she has admitted to three of the four murders she was convicted of and six of the 11 assaults. She hasn't admitted to all of them, but she's admitting to some. She will have to serve 30 years before being considered eligible for parole, which is in in 20. Uh Uh-huh. Guess Mm -hmm. when she's eligible for parole. Coming up. 2022. Oh, God. Mm. Um, in 1999, so the surviving twin, Katie, mm-hmm. who was disabled, 
for life was awarded 2.125 million pounds, which is 2.6 million dollars. Thank you. You're welcome. By Lincolnshire Health Authority to pay for her treatment and her equipment for the rest of her life. They were basically did the whole we're not accepting liability, but you are entitled to compensation because of what she did to you. Dang. Um, so that's like the one good thing that came out of that. Um, so yeah, she's basically gotten a lot of criticism from the families saying like she's in this mental health hospital and it's like actually a nice mental health hospital. Like, so mm-hmm. she's got, she's in this place instead of like prison where she mm-hmm. belongs because yeah. she was starving herself and mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. Wow. Was, I feel like she, her story, this story, was on a show called Nurses Who Kill. Yes, it was. Nailed it. She's been on that. She's been on, well, not she, been on but. on Netflix? It's uh, like on ident- I, ID. ID. Mm-hmm. So, Hulu, maybe? It's been on that, Hulu and it's been, like, Women Who Kill as well, Nurses Who mm. Kill, and, like, a couple yeah. other of those ID shows she's been on. You know she's what's scary to me in particular is I had pneumonia when I was almost one and I had to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it was, what years? What year was this? 1991. So I was born in 89, so almost maybe around 19. Around so in 1990. That's so scary. I know. Of course, I didn't grow up in England, England, but, <laughs> but I feel like that could have happened anywhere. Okay? It could have England happened anywhere. Too, What's sure. scary to me is that she had eleven victims in two months' time. Yeah, and they were like transferring these kids who were having these cardiac arrests left and right to who had no reason to have a cardiac arrest. Yes, transferring them to these other hospitals, and they were magically getting better as soon as they did, and they just didn't investigate until mm-hmm. literally the last death. Like, a couple of people were suspicious. Some doctors were getting suspicious and some nurses were getting suspicious. But they didn't start investigating until the last death. Which is crazy to me. Mm. And sad. It's really sad. That is nuts. I mm. do love a good... Crazy nurse story. Crazy nurse story. Yep. Well, there you go. They're out there. Crazy nurse story for y'all. For my crazy nurses. Ooh, we had a good, we had a good true crime episode. Did you say I so? I enjoyed, so, yes. I liked it. Thanks so much for listening, guys. You can always find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Tipsy Ghost. And send us your stories at thetipsyghost at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, give us a like. Rate <laughs> us on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Otherwise... <laughs> Sarah's like dancing as we're doing I'm our trying. little outro. I don't get to say anything. <laughs> That's because you introduced us. You started right. off on a good foot. That's a good thing. Um, otherwise, we will just catch up with you guys next week. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> okay, bye. Right, bye. bye. bye.